We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show today presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC for a chance to secure a first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. You have to use my promo code, KevinDC, to claim that bonus. Now, with MyBookie, I've been mentioning a lot of the NFL 2023 prop bets. Uh I haven't mentioned the one I'm going to mention today, and that is the NFL Coach of the Year odds for 2023. Dan Campbell, Detroit Lions, is the favorite at plus 940, followed by Sean Payton at plus 1100. There are increased expectations in Denver with Sean Payton there. Hopefully he can turn around Russell Wilson. But the Dan Campbell favorite to be the Coach of the Year is going hand-in-hand with just some of the highest expectations for the Detroit Lions that we've ever seen. I mean, Detroit is favored to win the NFC North. Uh, I would bet you that that is the first time in a long, long time that Detroit's been favored to win the NFC North. I doubt they were favored to win the division during the Matt Stafford years. And let's face it, you know, the Brett Favre-Aaron Rodgers run – uh, in that division, you know, even before it became the NFC North, when it was the NFC Central, the Packers have been the favorite most of these years, if not all of them, but certainly the significant majority of them. Uh, I bet you that Detroit hasn't been a division favorite in decades. Now, they've been favored to be decent and good in decent years, including being picked to make the playoffs in some of those Matt Stafford years. Uh, I don't know, by the way, in thinking about Detroit, I think they actually deserve to be the favorite, I guess, but I don't think that they're a lock to win that division. Minnesota won 13 games last year. They're going to be very good offensively again. Their defense was the problem last year, um, and maybe they don't win 13 games again this year because they won a lot of close games. I like Chicago, too. I'm a Justin Fields Guy, I liked him coming out in the draft, and I think Chicago's improved themselves. They added DJ Moore. They improved maybe through the draft. Um, It wouldn't surprise me if Chicago's a lot better than people are expecting. But I was thinking just about the Lions and Dan Campbell and 
Uh, man, uh, if you're a Lions fan, um, this is the year to actually legitimately be excited about what may be uh, in the offing. Um, they nearly made the postseason. You know, at the end of last year, they knocked Green Bay out of the postseason. By the way, if you're wondering where Ron Rivera is, Ron Rivera's 30 to 1, plus 3,000 to win NFL Coach of the Year. Ron Rivera's odds, and my bookie does not have odds on the first coach to be fired, but some of the places that do have those odds have Ron Rivera up pretty high, not necessarily the favorite. But um, Rivera's down near the bottom, and he's down near the bottom with the coaches of projected, you know, sub-500 teams. Like, Andy Reid's odds of winning the NFL Coach of the Year are plus 4,000, 40 to 1. That's because, like, Kansas City would have to go undefeated in the regular season with an all-time regular season for Andy Reid to be considered as an NFL coach of the year. Same with, you know, guys like Sean McDermott and Mike McCarthy and Kyle Shanahan and Nick Sirianni. Um, They have long shot odds of the coaches for teams that don't have high expectations in terms of, you know, win totals. Ron Rivera is near the bottom, not the bottom. Todd Bowles is the uh, 44 to one plus 4,400 long shot. Uh, in the NFL, and guys like Jonathan Gannon and even Sean McVay have long shot odds as well, but Rivera's down there. But um, Detroit's Dan Campbell and the Lions, a lot expected of the Lions uh, this year. One guest on the show today, Mike Vorkanoff, who covers the NBA and the NBA draft for the Athletic, is going to jump on with us in the final segment of the show, but I'm going to give you a heads up. We recorded that interview earlier, and that was before the breaking Wizards news this afternoon. And it has nothing to do with the finalizing of the Bradley Beal trade or you know what's left of that trade, which would involve Chris Paul and where Chris Paul goes to. This trade involves Kristaps Porzingis. It's a three-team trade, according to Shams Charania of The Athletic. He reported it first, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Wizards, Clippers, Celtics. All right, The Wizards send Kristaps Porzingis to Boston. Boston sends Malcolm Brogdon to the Clippers. And the Clippers send Marcus Morris and their first-round pick tomorrow night, which is the last pick in the first round, number 30 overall, back to Washington. Marcus Morris is not Markeith Morris. It's his twin brother. Markeith played here. Marcus has never played here. Um, He's got one year left on his current contract at $17 million. The Wizards are getting a first-round pick, even though it's the last pick in the first round of tomorrow night's draft back from the Clippers. So they now have two firsts and two seconds as it stands right now, but we really don't know what second-round picks are coming back from Phoenix in the deal for Beal. Until that gets finalized, we don't know exactly you know, what those picks are. We know they're second-rounders. We know they're a slew of second-rounders, up to maybe as many as six second-rounders. Um, but we do know now the terms of the trade – uh, today, the three-team trade, Celtics, Wizards, Clippers. Porzingis, who, for me, anyway, of the players that were their best players, Kuzma, Beal, and Porzingis, and Kyle Kuzma opted out of his 13-year, one-year player option yesterday. 
I don't know if there's any chance to pull off what they pulled off with Porzingis, which is an opt-in and trade. Um, you know, he opted into a $36 million one-year player option deal. Different, Kuzma's was for $13 million. So Porzingis wanting to opt in for that $36 million meant that the Wizards had a little bit more leverage with Porzingis than they did with Kuzma. Uh, But at the same time, I mean, Porzingis could have opted out or could have opted in, uh, or could he could have opted out and become an un- unrestricted free agent and tried to get more than thirty-six million, or tried to sign a longer-term extension where maybe the guaranteed money was greater than the guaranteed money in one year, even if the average annual was less than thirty-six million. But Porzingis netting um, Marcus Morris, who's not a big part of this deal, because. They're looking at one year of Marcus Morris. And look, they have to have some players with salary on the team because there is a minimum salary cap uh, number. Uh, and you'll hear me ask Mike, Mike Vorkanoff about that in the interview. It's 90% of the actual salary cap number. It's roughly about $123 million you have to spend on players. So it's not like they can just burn it down to the ground and roll out five dudes you know, uh, uh, that are undrafted. Um, so I don't know. I, I, my, my reaction is they got a first rounder back for Porzingis, even though it's, you know, the last pick in the first round and maybe there, you know, we should count our blessings that they were able to get anything back for Porzingis. Maybe there were other teams that were interested in Porzingis and would have given up more. I don't know. Right now, the net of Bradley Beal and Kristaps Porzingis not being on the team next year is a bunch of second-round picks, Chris Paul, who will never play here, Landry Shamit, Marcus Morris, and the last pick in the first round. It doesn't seem like enough for players of that caliber, but they didn't have any leverage with Beal. Um, and Porzingis was, you know, in a player option situation. So we'll see. They are, look, they're in full rebuild mode. There is no doubt about it. I mean, you're going to be watching an expansion team for the next few years. It's going to be a bad basketball team next year, the year after. And the goal here is to acquire as much draft compensation as possible. You know, that's a big part of it. And tart, you know, start taking swings in the draft. You know, hopefully be able to combine some of these picks to move up in the draft. It might not happen tomorrow night, but maybe it can happen next year. Um, and maybe next year, if they only win 15 games, they end up with a top three pick. And then maybe they can package a lot of the second rounders for another first round pick. Who knows? But that's the plan now. I mean... This is pain for hopeful pleasure, but not guaranteed pleasure down the road. It's the right thing. I've talked about this this week. This is the right thing to do. I hope that they are getting as much back um, as they can possibly get. The Beal thing was not optimal, clearly. You know, they just didn't have enough leverage to get a lot back. Um, But... Man, I'm trying to think of, okay, what's the starting lineup for this team next year? Uh, Well, you're going to see some of the young players they drafted. You're going to see Corey Kispert. You're going to see Johnny Davis. 
You're going to see a lot of Denny Avdia. You're going to see uh, Daniel Gafford, who's still on the team. You're going to see Landry Shamit, who we know will, will be here. Um, DeLon Wright, although DeLon Wright, I actually love the way he played last year. Uh, I wonder if he's got any value. If he does, they'll probably move him before tomorrow night too. Uh, but the Wizards are going to be, you know, busy tomorrow night. We again, we don't really know, w- w- you know, the the Phoenix second rounders. Um, I should probably look to see how many second round picks they have. We probably should have done this already. Um, in the second round, Phoenix has in tomorrow night's draft. Uh, they don't appear to have any second round picks in this year's draft. So all of those second rounders are future second rounders. The Wizards already have number 42 overall. They'll have number 30 now. They'll have number 8. They also have number 57, which is the next to last pick in the second round. That came from Boston via Charlotte. I forget what those deals were for, um, to be honest with you. Charlotte may have been Harrell. I don't know. Uh, but it'll be a busy night for the Wizards tomorrow night. Two first, two seconds, and those Phoenix picks come somewhere down the road. And maybe they'll move Chris Paul for something and get something back before tomorrow night uh, as well. Oh, wait a minute here. Hold on for one second. There's more to this deal. Uh, Woj Narowski, Woj, reporting that the Wizards will also get Gallinari from Boston uh, and Amir Coffey from the Clippers. Coffey, I liked Coffey at Minnesota. I don't think he's done much in the NBA. Gallinari could always score, but he, I got to look this up. He, he was out this year, right? Didn't he tear his Achilles or something like that? Was it a knee injury after he signed with the Celtics? Um Uh, he's also, he's gotta be 32 at least. Gallinari. Yeah. Um, suffered a torn ACL in September after he signed a two year, $13.3 million deal with Boston last year. Okay. So not a lot of money. Uh, he's 34 years old. All right. But he's had some good years. Let me look up his numbers here. Um, 2018, 2019, he averaged 19.8 points per game with the Clippers. I don't even know why I'm doing this. He's not a part of their future, clearly. Um, they're just taking on some, uh, players and some contracts here. And, and, and again, they've got, you know, they're going to have to meet the minimum requirement from a salary cap standpoint as well. Uh, They are, you know, they're flushing everything. They are starting all over. And anybody that's complaining about that hasn't watched this team the last, you know, four out of the last five, five, the last five years. They haven't watched this team since the 2017 seventh and deciding game at Boston. So I wanted to get to something early uh, in the podcast, and it's about Sam Howell. And it was sparked by a column I read uh, on the team's website written by Zach Selby. A story titled Jacoby Brissett Providing Sam Howell with Guidance Amid QB Competition. And there's a quote in there, and I'm going to read it to you. It's from Jacoby Brissett about Sam Howell. Quote, it's been a lot of fun. He's smart, can make all the throws. 
Uh, and then he goes on to say, you know, been a joy to be around. I know that makes me sound old, but he's been good to be around, uh, competing against each other, learning from each, each other, yada, yada, yada. But the football piece of that quote is he's smart. He can make all the throws, can make all the throws, can make all the throws in arm strength is the most consistent theme to talking about Sam Howell since the season ended last year. This was Ron Rivera a few weeks ago. Uh, He's still learning, but he's also got the arm talent, and that's the thing that excites us. Remember I read from Albert Breer's column uh, earlier this week, the Monday morning quarterback column, um, when you know he wasn't even at OTAs or minicamps. So he got this from people associated with the team when he wrote, how consistently put a plus arm on display in OTAs and minicamp, making throws some quarterbacks won't, and generating plenty of velocity on the ball. Um, There was a quote from Taylor Heineke at the end of last year. He can sling it. This was Jahan Dotson after the Dallas game. Uh, The arm talent, we all knew he had it. It was just a matter of getting into those situations. Um, There was... Uh, there were the comments from the defensive players, you know, that Ron Rivera alluded to. Uh, turned around, the ball was already there. I mean, the the ball was thrown on time, velocity, it was there. I mean, already in the receiver's hands. The receiver's saying, ball was there right when I came out of my break. Um, that has been a common sentiment in discussing Sam Howell and his offseason going back to the Dallas game as well. By the way, I'm not disputing that it's true. It is true. He has big-time arm strength. That was one of the real you know, pluses uh, on him coming out uh, into the draft in 2022. I mean, nobody questioned his arm strength. Look, I've had so many people on the show. I've had you know, Phil Longo is offensive coordinator at Carolina. I had the guy that's coaching him from that quarterback uh, academy, Boone, on the show. I had um, Brian Simmons on the show, uh, the analyst for UNC football, and they've all talked about his arm strength. I'm not di- di- disputing that at all. There's no debate that this guy can make all the throws. He's got the big-time arm strength. Um. Interestingly, one person who hasn't obsessed about it at all is Eric Bieniemy. The the most positive thing Eric Bieniemy has said about Sam Howell is, you know, essentially implying how coachable he is. He auto-corrects himself. Remember that quote from a couple of weeks ago. I love what Eric Bieniemy's doing, by the way. I like Eric Bieniemy underselling in hopes of overperforming. Look, it doesn't make any sense for Eric Bieniemy to oversell in the offseason, Sam Howell, because then if the expectations are super high from Eric Bieniemy and he doesn't reach those expectations, it'll make Bieniemy look bad. But I like that anyway. Most of you know that. To me, the most, you know, one of the most disgusting things about this franchise over the last 24 years is the constant overselling and underperforming. You know, Doc Walker's famous line. This team is excellent Monday through Saturday. Sundays are the problem. But, you know, off-season-wise, it's always, you know, been about the off-season with this franchise, and they fail to deliver when it matters most. That's the opposite of what Joe Gibbs was 
during his glory years. Uh, he undersold everything. And then it's you got to game day, and it's like, oh, my God. I was expecting a total shit show. It's 42 to 10. It's only the third quarter. Or or what we got, you know, with RG3 in his first game against the Saints. Nobody saw that coming. So I kind of like that from Eric Bieniemy. But um I, I bring it up because again, I'm not disputing it. He's got great arm strength. And by the way, it's not the only compliment paid. It's the the one that has been most pronounced is arm strength can make all the throws. I'm bringing it up because it's true, but it's also so noticeable because of what they've had. So I hope that, you know, I hope two things. I hope that that's not the only attribute he has because that's not the only thing that makes a great quarterback. You know, we need to see anticipation. We need to see the ability to read defenses. We need the, uh, you know, the leadership, the, you know, all the things that come with being a great quarterback. But look, you can't be a great quarterback if you can't make all the throws, if you don't have plus arm strength. But there's no doubt that after watching Taylor Heineke start the majority of games the last two years, a guy Taylor's size that's got the arm strength. It's going to pop. It's going to be impressive. It's going to be like, whoa, we haven't seen that in a few years. Now, Carson Wentz had the arm strength, but he's a big dude. Sam is built, you know, kind of like Taylor Heineke, and yet he could sling it. And they're excited about that, and they should be excited about that. You know, they have been poor offensively for a long, long time, but... Um, there's a lot more to playing the position. And that leads me to this. Um, there was this back and forth with Ben Standig and some guy on Twitter. And basically the guy, Ben wrote a really good column, um, and he put it out maybe yesterday or this morning. And it was basically something similar to something I did uh, like a couple of months back where, you know, and a lot of you came after me for being so obsessed with his draft status. And my only point was fifth rounders, you know, they, they don't end up becoming legitimate big time starting quarterbacks. You've got one legitimate example of, of greatness and that's Tom Brady this century. And then you've got guys like cousins and press Prescott, but they're few and far between. And Ben wrote a column and he, you know, broke down the numbers from the last 11 years or the last 10 or 11 years, whatever it was. Um, he, here it is. He wrote, from 2010 to 2021, teams selected 74 quarterbacks in rounds four through seven. So that's day three. Only six of those 74 have started more than 11 games at quarterback. And only three have started more than 30 games at quarterback. Those three are Tyrod Taylor, Kirk Cousins, and Dak Prescott. Um, and Prescott, by the way, was the lone quarterback from that group to become a full-time starter before his fourth season. And that's, remember, because Tony Romo got hurt. Um, Others were given chances earlier. Sam Ehlinger last year, Nathan Peterman were given chances to start early in their careers for reasons other than injury, but they flopped. I mean, Peterman did. Ehlinger is still uh, super young. In terms of the day three quarterbacks, 
So then Ben mentioned one last nugget in his piece that I wanted to point out. That Sam Howell uh, will be the first quarterback during this span of time, 2010 through 2021, that he measured, you know, heading into now 2023. So the the last 13 years of quarterbacks that were drafted uh, on day three, rounds four through seven. He'll become the first one to start in week one in his second season after starting just one game the year before. He's the list. It's very unusual, people. Very unusual for a day three quarterback to become a bona fide NFL starter. And it's very, very, very rare, like it's not happened in the last 13 years, that a guy starts in his second year as a day three quarterback with only one start the year before. And so that led to Ben getting into this back and forth on Twitter and somehow I got roped into it. The guy that was tweeting Ben and was upset about Ben spitting out facts, uh, comfort is the enemy of progress. Uh, that was the Eric B. Enemy line. That's the Twitter handle. He said, you and Kevin Sheehan's vibe on this, meaning Sam Howell, has been absolutely cringe. And then he writes towards the end, I'll give you, as in Ben, the benefit of the doubt. I know your job isn't to be a homer, but you do like triggering buzzwords in your headlines. Um, Ben doesn't write his headlines. Uh, Tom Lavero gets a pass because he likes playing the villain, but I'm more so upset with my guy, Kevin Sheehan. And I appreciate that you, uh, refer to me as your guy. Um, but I'm going to just take exception to this kind of thinking. It's the same frustration that I had last summer. And it's the people last summer who said, if you're not in on Carson Wentz, you're out. You know, hey, Sheehan, move to Minnesota if you didn't like this trade. If you don't think Carson Wentz is the quarterback of the future and they make made a great trade, go cover Kirk Cousins. Move to the Twin Cities. You know, we had the whole get on board or get out with Carson Wentz last summer. And those people just looked silly. And a lot of that's going on this summer, this offseason. Get on board or get out with Sam Howell. I mean, it was so obvious with Carson Wentz, the red flags of Philadelphia and Indy and, and the Colts moving on from him at great expense. Like, I mean, you had to be an idiot not to realize that, you know, these were, you know, one really good organization was saying, no, we'll just take the biggest dead cap hit in the history of mankind uh, at the most important position on the field. And then the Colts having, you know, a year later after trading a first rounder, nope, we don't want him either. And somehow this organization got it right. I mean, come on. The people that felt that way last summer, sorry, you, you were, you were gullible. Now, there was a chance he was going to be better than what they had. There was that chance because he was certainly more talented than what they had had in recent years, but he wasn't going to be the long-term answer, and the trade was horrible. And here we are again, you know, with Sam Howell. And all of the, the, you know, the, the red flags are, and they're not the same kind of red flags, but it's what Ben wrote and what I've talked about before. It just doesn't happen. Day three quarterbacks just don't develop into bona fide NFL upper echelon franchise quarterbacks. It's just very, very rare. And it's even more, you know, uh, of a, a, a rare when you know the backdrop of this. 
which is they've talked a big game after the fact. But while there was a chance to play them when it mattered, they didn't. And then when there was an opportunity to, to, to play them with no risk, they didn't want to. They got talked into it by Taylor Heineke. Um, he may turn out to be great. He does have talent. There are things about his game that make a lot of sense in the league today. The contract is great. And what the hell? They couldn't do anything else in the offseason anyway. They were hamstrung because of the ownership situation. So we're all going to watch. We're all going to see how it plays out. And it would be the greatest thing ever if Sam Howell turned in to be uh, turned out to be, excuse me, you know, a true franchise quarterback for the next 10 plus years. And they got him with a fifth rounder and they were able to pay him on a rookie deal for the first, you know, three years of his career. That would be incredible for the organization. It would also be, statistically speaking, a stroke of great fortune if it happens. All right, uh, let's get to my guest next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, jumping on with us right now is Mike Borkinoff. Mike is a national NBA reporter for The Athletic. As I've told you many times, I am a subscriber to The Athletic, uh, and it is totally worth it. Uh, you get all the great national guys, but locally, Ben Standig, David Aldridge, uh, Josh Robbins, Tark El-Bashir, uh, it's totally worth it, uh, and it's really very inexpensive. Um, Mike writes for The Athletic. He joins us right now. The NBA draft is tomorrow night, but we're still, you know, here in D.C., Mike, we're still talking about what happened over the weekend and what hasn't been finalized as of yet, which is the Bradley Beal trade to Phoenix. So let's start there. What did you make of the trade? Uh, it, it felt like a move that was much needed and should have happened a lot earlier. I understand maybe some consternation from Wizards fans who feel like they didn't get enough, but it might be a reflection almost as much of the new CBA environment as it is anything else. And Bradley Beal obviously has a huge contract, and that became really hard to trade when he has a no-trade clause as well. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about this over the last two days, but I'll ask you, um, from Phoenix's standpoint, 
did they get the player that will put them in, you know, kind of over the hump as a championship contender next year? Obviously, Beal is is really good, but I feel like there's a point of diminishing returns when you already have Kevin Durant and when you have uh, Devin Booker, right? He's the third best on-ball scorer and playmaker that they have. And and this is what you're not necessarily giving a lot lot for. It's the the lack of... um, versatility, depth, and maneuverability in your roster building going forward, that's that's your opportunity cost. And, and I, I think it's fair to say they could have been in a better place, uh, you know, trying to create depth around Booker and Durant and DeAndre Ayton potentially. And not to mention that Chris Paul is still pretty good. I don't think he's as good as Bradley Beal if Bradley Beal is healthy and invested. Uh, but he's still a really good player. And so there are definitely a few other ways they could have gone uh, in terms of using – you know, both the salary slots and it, just in terms of using uh, the few assets, the few draft assets that they still had left. What do you think the Wizards can get from anybody for Chris Paul? I, I think it'll be somewhere where they try to get him to a place that he wants. Again, he's, you know, set to make $30 million next year, and he'll be, I think he's 38 going into next season, if I remember correctly, off the top of my head. Yep. Um, and, you know, uh, Chris Paul is at that point in his career. We saw the trade to the Suns actually uh, two years ago, where he's going to have some say in where he goes, and I think the Wizards will work with him on that. And I don't think the return is going to be substantial, but you can probably get you know either a, a nice usable, be a young player with some potential. Uh, all right, let's talk about tomorrow night's NBA draft. What do you think the Wizards will have available to them at eight and? Um, what would be the best fit for them if you know out of the players that could be available to them at eight? Well, it seems like it's being looked at as kind of a nine-player draft on the top end, and obviously the Wizards are in a good spot for that at number eight. So far, you know, uh, all the mock draft and the draft prognosticators have tied them to Anthony Black, the point guard from Arkansas, and if that's who they like, that's probably you know who should they should take but i i'm always a big believer that when it comes to the draft you just take the best player available and you make it work from there there's too much uncertainty to try to do fit or try to make a pick on narrower terms so it's you know, the wizards especially are not are now in a place in their roster where they just need talent and they need young talent to move forward with so it's whoever is there on the board that looks like the best player, uh, that's who they should go with. It's it's kind of simple at this point. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, given that they're clearly committing to, you know, this period of a rebuild, they've got to be swinging for the, the, the best chance at somebody becoming a true star. So at eight, who might that player be? You know, it could be, uh, you know, Anthony Black, the point guard from Arkansas, who seems to have a good feel for the game. Uh, it's a, you know, really good size for the point guard position, you know, and uh, he's interesting. I think he's only 19 still, so he has that potential to tap into. Uh, it wouldn't be surprising maybe if a Taylor Hendricks is there, who's kind of a, uh, a sweet shooting four who can give them size and has, uh, you know, a shooting potential and can be perimeter oriented and I know that the Wizards have already put in a lot of draft stock into that four spot over the last few years with Denny Avdia and Rui Hachimura but uh, this would be you know another opportunity to take a potential long-term starting front court player for them um, I-, I think that either of those guys would be a good fit I don't know if Jairus Walker 
that far from Houston falls that far. Uh, it doesn't seem like one of the Thompson twins will be there for them at eight. Uh, but there should be some good options for them. Maybe Cam Whitmore falls to nine, depending on uh, what you've seen reported lately about him and how his uh, you know pre-draft process has gone. But they really, after the last few years of taking players who weren't viewed to have very high ceilings, uh, as much as <laughs> that stuff can be projected, right. uh, they really are an opportunity now, I, I think, to kind of shoot for the moon and uh, as Pistons GM Troy Weaver said the other day about what he wants to do in Detroit, uh, you know, try to hit for the long ball. Right. On Anthony Black, um, for those of you who don't know, um, played at Arkansas, played for Eric Musselman, um, and, you know, uh, if you watch them, they, they played several tournament games. If you were just watching in March, give me the guy that you think is his NBA comp. I would say kind of a, lot, a bigger point guard with a good feel for the game, not necessarily a great shooter uh, coming out of college. So I think someone in that regard would probably be a good, you know, a good comp for Anthony. Uh, are you a believer in Wembenyana as a star, you know, five years from now on a contending team? Uh, I feel like I'd be going completely against the grain by saying no, but I, I kind of am, you know, having watched him in the games against the Ignite, seeing some stuff from him um, playing over in France, just that combination of size and skill. It's, you know, it's out of this world to some degree. He's seven, three and the stuff that he can do. He looks like a more fluid athlete than Kristaps Porzingis, who's about the same size. Um, I, I think he'll be an all-star five years from now. Just every, it, I think the thing that's kind of impressive about him is that he seems like he has the mental side of the sport right, even at such an early age, and that should suit him well because it's, it's not just about skill. It's not just about um, being in the right place. You, you have to have... Uh, the foundation, you know, intrinsically to make it happen. And it seems like he's been prepared for this moment for such a long time, which makes me bullish on him. Uh, tell me about an, a guy or two, you know, outside of, say, the top three, um, which seem to be consensus-wise, Wembenyana, number one, and then Scoot, uh, Scoot Henderson and, and Brandon Miller, you know, in there at two and three. Give me a guy that you really like, um, and you've been telling people this is a guy that's going to end up being a star in the league kind of after those top three. <sighs> well, I, I do like Amon Thompson. I think he's very interesting uh, with his athleticism. He's got good size. I think he's about 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, um, he seems like he's a prototype potential wing in the NBA with some guard skills as well. And, you know, Hosser Thompson, his twin brother, uh, also it seems to be a pretty good projection um, so those two guys come to mind. I, I like Jarris Walker. I don't know if he'll be a you know a great player offensively, but I think his body size, the type of um, defensive player that he is or projects to be, is pretty interesting. Taylor Hendricks is, is pretty interesting as well. And uh, I, you know I like Jordan Hawkins, who's later in the draft, is just kind of a movement shooter that you can plug into most lineups and probably fit really well. But that's a guy who seems to be. Having uh, you know his his stocks land somewhere in the late lottery to you know middle of the first round, so that might be a bit too early for the Wizards. But those guys all seem pretty interesting to me. All right, a few more things that are more league related with Mike Borkinoff uh, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This final segment of the show brought to you by Window Nation. Window Nation wants you to beat the heat this summer with Window Nation's summer sale. You can save thousands today with no money down, no payments, and no interest for two years. Plus, Window Nation will give you two free windows with every two you buy. You can protect and increase the value of your home today by calling them at 866-90-NATION or going online at windownation.com. I've been endorsing Window Nation for nearly 14 years I was a customer. I trusted them into my home. You can do the same. If you mention my name, you'll get a free estimate. So you've got nothing to lose. No money down, no payments, no interest for two years. Buy two, get two free on any style window with no limit. You'll save thousands on your new windows and your energy bills all the while upgrading the look and feel of your home. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Following us on those two podcast platforms is a big help as well. Continuing with Michael Vorkanoff uh, from The Athletics. So um, a couple of league uh, outstandings, if you will. Where does Damian Lillard end up? I think he'll be in Portland. And who will join him? <laughs> I think if I, I think if it's Brandon Miller at number two to Charlotte, uh, I, I think Scoot Henderson joins him. And I, I you know, I, I think he's the be- second best player in this draft class. Uh, so if he can fall to three for Portland, that would be a coup for them. And that would be a great building block for the franchise. And uh, you know. Not to say that Scoot and Damian Lillard have a great relationship or something, but I, I know they knew they do know each other a little bit. Damian Lillard has reached out to him in the past. Uh, I, I talked to Scoot Henderson about it a few months ago when I saw him in Vegas, um, and, and I think that kind of building block would be palatable to Dame, and I, I think that he would understand why the Blazers passed up a trade at number three to take Scoot Henderson. And the other thing is I don't know who'd be available in a trade for number three pick that would be worthwhile. Uh, to trade away, you know, the right to draft a guy who you know NBA execs have compared to John Wall or you know potentially Russell Westbrook. Like that's a that's a pretty good prospect uh, to take if you can. Uh, will Draymond Green end up back at Golden State? Well, <laughs> uh, it'll be expensive for Golden State if he does, but I, I do think it's notable that the new CBA. Uh, when it goes into effect, July 1 does now allow uh, teams to sign a player if he declines to exercise you know, his player option for a year at a lower salary than he would have made on that player option. It comes just in time uh, as Draymond Green just declined this $27.5 million player option where 
the Warriors to potentially give him more money guaranteed long term, even if his uh, average annual value or starting salary is below that $27.5 million number. What do you think of Draymond Green? Like, how much value would he have on another team away from Steph and Clay? I mean, I think he's he's an amazing defender. I think that translates everywhere, uh, no matter the team that he's on. Offensively, obviously, it's a harder fit, right? He's a bad shooter, uh, but he's a great passer, and so he'd have to play on a team, I think, with uh, one or two other kind of lead yeah. ball handlers who can make it work and let him fit in around there. And so it has to be the right team. I, I don't think he would sign, presumably, with a bad team and want to be through a rebuild or a build-up at this point in his life. And so if he's going to uh, another good team that has uh, some good offensive players already, I I think it wouldn't be as hard as people think. Last question. I don't know if you know the answer to this. So um, I saw that you tweeted out, you know, the update um, on the current salary cap uh, numbers, $136 million salary cap, which was $2 million more than the prior projection. $165 million is the luxury tax level. What is the minimum amount uh, or percent minimum uh, amount that a team has to have on their payroll? Uh, they've got to be at ninety percent of the uh, the salary cap number. So okay. off the top of my head, whatever ninety percent of one thirty six is, I'm not going to try to do math on air. <laughs> uh, that's going to be just embarrassing for me. Okay. Uh, but you know, in the new CBA, there's a there's a lot of incentive to get to that ninety percent number to that salary cap floor. And so I would expect that, you know, every team does that where in past years you've, you've seen a few kind of stragglers not reach that level. Uh, but that's, that's where, you know, hypothetically the Wizards or anyone else would have to get to with their uh, salary next year. Be somewhere less than $123 million. Um, there you go. Right around there. All right. Uh, thank you for doing that. Uh, and I appreciate it. Good to catch up. No, yeah, anytime. I'm happy to do it. Thanks for having me on. All right, that's it for the show today. Back tomorrow with Tommy.